so glad that you survived the blizzard of 2017, right? How many of you uh, woke up extremely disappointed, or, or maybe had children, like in our house, that were, that were disappointed, but there was a, a few hours, right, of, of white stuff from the ground. I, I was laughing with my wife um, as we watched the news um, coverage, and I mean, they're doing what they're supposed to do, but, um, you know, it's funny, we got everybody on location um, watching the, the dusting that happened, but uh, you made it, and we're here, and I'm thankful. Let me ask you a question. Um, that will kind of get us started this morning, and it's this. How are your New Year's resolutions going, right? How are they going so far? We are into the second week here of 2017, and, uh, and New Year's resolutions are a thing. I understand that. And let me ask you, if, if the line, or tell you, if the line was too long, and you've heard this, if the line was too long at the gym, uh, give it a couple weeks, and, uh, and everything will be back uh, to normal, but I, I know that the new year brings new reasons for optimism, and that's what's fun about starting something new. And maybe that maybe that last year wasn't so good, and so we're looking forward to something that's going to be different in 2017. Maybe you're like most Americans, or a great majority of Americans, that that you thought just for maybe a few minutes of what could be different this year, what could be different in the year 2017. I know that resolutions are made to bring about change. But maybe if we could simplify the idea of resolutions and just say this, that, that resolutions are merely hopes, right? So, so we hope that in, in the year 2017 that we're going to become healthier. And so we've started that diet, right? We had to wait till after New Year's Day, but we, we, we started the diet or we joined the gym again, right? Maybe for us, our, our hope is that we'll read more books. It's always a goal for me each year that I would read more books than I read last year. And so, you know, maybe you've read two books in 2016 and you've already ordered 25 books, right? You've, you've set the bar high. Maybe for you, this year, and I, I, would, I would hope that it would, it would be one of those things that increases as you get older. Maybe this year you said, you know what, this is the year that I'm going to grow closer to God. And so because of that, you're here. You're, you, it's 19 degrees this morning when you left the house and you said, I'm going to be in church. Or I'm going to be faithful in Sunday school. Or I've got this new um, a Bible um, reading uh, uh, plan that I've got on my, my phone. And so I've, I've made some changes to make sure that 2017 is going to be better than 2016. And I've done all this with very good intentions. But when you really stop and think about it, you've also done all this with a little bit of uncertainty. The truth is that, that none of us, none of us know exactly what will take place this year. There's, there's, there's this certain amount of uncertainty. All of, our, all of us are in this wait-and-see mode. None of us know what is in store for us in the year ahead. That doesn't sound too promising, right? Happy New Year. It doesn't sound too promising. We want to know what's going to work. We want to know definites. We don't want to operate off of maybes. And so this morning, my goal is to give you some confidence, to give you some definites as we continue in this year of 2017. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Romans. Paul is writing here to the believers in Rome. And, and this book 
is his, his longest and most theologically significant letters. Let me give you a, a kind of an overview as to what was happening or what's happening in chapter 8. In chapter 8, we see Paul explaining the work of the Spirit and the Christian's assurance of victory over death and the power of the flesh. And he does this before he dives into our text this morning, which explains that the work God has begun, the work that God has begun in you as a believer, will be brought to conclusion through justification, which eventually leads to glorification. And so with that in mind, turn in your Bibles to Romans 8, verses 28 through 39. Paul says this, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. And these whom He called, He also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress a persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That sounds good, doesn't it? What a fantastic passage. And this morning I want to unpack that a little bit further. It's a passage that's familiar to most of us, but maybe there's, there's some hidden truth in it this morning. Look, if you will, in verse 28. Paul says this, And we know, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according, now catch this, according to His purpose. And I want to spend just a second or two there and, and make sure that we're all on the same page. Paul says, here's a promise. And we're going to get to that in a second. But before we get there, here's a promise that you, you have to understand this, that it's according to what God has in store. It's according to God's purpose for your life. It has absolutely nothing to do with your plans for your life. Rather, it has everything to do with God's plan for your life because newsflash, He made you, right? And He is sovereignly in all control. And so Paul says all things are working together for, for, for the good of those who love Him according to His purpose. This is the promise we see in verse 28 that should transform the way that we face life. And this, this, this passage, this text is aimed specifically at believers. And so Paul is saying, wake up, or here's a reminder, hey, you church in Rome, 
here's what you need to know. Here is a promise that, that no matter what happens in life, no matter what happens this year, no matter what has happened or will happen, the good, the bad, and the ugly, we know certain things. Those first three words are so telling. And we know. It's true because we know God. And He has said it. His Word is trustworthy. We know that. And here's the thing. It guarantees His promise. His character rests upon it. We know because we know Him. We know not by looking at the events of our life or trying to anticipate what may happen in our life. We, we know not at looking at these things. We know by knowing our God. It's a certain promise. And this promise right here leads to a, a, a joy that can be unexplained for all believers. Simply because God is orchestrating all things. It has forever been true. It will forever be true no matter what you're going through in life. And see, this takes away, or it should take away, and I know it's easier said than done, but here's faith. It takes away the fear when life seems to throw you a curveball. So here's the thing about those curveballs. We are always surprised by the curveball. It's a nasty curveball. And it started out up here, and it, it quickly, it sharply broke, and we swung and we missed, right? We're always surprised by the curveball. God's never surprised. He's never surprised. We know him. Uh, Tim Keller says this, The universe is not a mechanism run by blind chance. It's run by a person, by our Father. And so that means that, that no matter what comes into our life, no matter what outside influences there are, no matter what circumstances we find, no matter what He gives us or what He takes away, that it's all for his, our good according to His purpose. John Newton says, everything is needful that he sends. Nothing can be needful that he withholds. And so our confidence lies in our future hope. Our confidence lies in the work of the Spirit. Our confidence lies in God's sovereign work for our good in all the circumstances of our lives. So there's verse 28. So, everything in my life, everything, Philip, is what you're saying that everything in 2017 is going to be good, not only because you've said so, but because Paul said so. It's in, it's in Romans 8. You just read it. Well, we know the answer is no. You have to be careful not to think that just because that, that, that we're a good Christian, that all things are going to be good in our life. Paul's not saying that at all. It's not that everything's going to be sunshine and roses, right? Rather, what Paul is saying, one commentator says this, is that all things, the same basic range of good and bad things that happen to all people, to everyone, with the addition of the suffering that comes from following a suffering king, let's don't forget that. Isaiah talks about Jesus being the suffering servant. The suffering that comes from following a suffering king are used by God in our hearts so that we are three things. Write this down. So that we are taught, so that we are humbled, and so that we are refined into the likeness of Christ. It's all good, eventually. It's all going to happen. 
But if God is orchestrating all this in our lives, we have to understand that it's, it's there to teach us. It's there to humble us and it's there to refine us. All things are working together for good. Is Paul saying whatever happens is good? No. Is Paul here saying that suffering and evil and tragedy are good? No. Is Paul even saying that everything will work out if we just have enough faith? My faith is too small and that's why I'm going through this. No. Is he saying that we'll be able to understand why God allows tragedy and death? No. Ray Pritchard puts it this way. Maybe, maybe, maybe we can just think of it like this. That, that God is, is, is placing a sign over the unexplainable mysteries of life. Right? All right, you're with me? And the sign reads this. Be quiet. God is at work. Over the unexplainable mysteries of life, God is at work. To what end? Well, all we know, based on this text, it's for good, not for evil. We have to be careful not to judge the end by the beginning. So often we, we, are, we are guilty of judging what we cannot see based on what we see. I want to give you a word to think about, and it's the, the, the word synergy. Remembering that all things work together for good. This, this, this word synergy, let me define it for you. Synergy is what happens when you put two or more elements together to form something brand new that never would have been formed separately. So often things happen in life and things will happen in your life this year. It is guaranteed that will make no sense when viewed in isolation. But we know, we know that they are working together for good. The best way I can think of to illustrate this is, is just by talking about medicine. All right? in, in our house the last two weeks we've had some sick children. And it's no fun to have sick kids, especially over Christmas break. But the medicine that they were given was not that bubble gum or grape medicine. It was medicine that just, when you open up the bottle, you're thinking, <laughs> I'm glad it's you and not me, right? I remember what this stuff tasted like. And it's nasty, right? And so, and so we, you, you always surprise them from the get-go. It's like, hey, dude, you got to take this medicine. It's going to make you better. Okay, yeah, that sounds great. You put it in a little syringe thing, and, and you stick it in their mouth, and you, you, know, I mean, you just shove it down there real quick before they realize what's in. And then the look of terror comes on their face, right? It's like, why have you done this to me? Yeah? What does, what does a kid know about this medicine? The only thing he knows is that it's terrible. Taste. It, Dad, you have no idea what this tastes like. This is uncomfortable. This is, this is unexplainable. I, I feel like I'm going to spit this back out at you and then you taste it. You tell me that it's going to make you better, right? What do we know? What do we know as parents? We know that if you do this, bud, if you take this, in just a couple of days you're going to be all right. You're going to be okay. We've got this understanding that, that a child doesn't have, and that's the best way I can think of to illustrate what happens in life. Oftentimes, we have no idea what's going on. All we know is that right now, it's terrible. Right now, it's tough. Right now, it doesn't taste too good. We've seen through experience, though, in our own lives, and 
the lives of others, and eventually it works out, okay, this idea of synergy. So all of life's circumstances are working for good, but why? Why? Is it for our health and for our wealth? Uh, absolutely not. It's because we're being conformed. That's why we can say it's good, because we are being conformed. Look in verses 29 through 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. To become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. See, God's purpose for all this is found in verse 29. To be conformed to the image or the likeness of his son. In all things, in everything that happens to me, all that will take place this year, God is using this to conform me into the image of His Son. That's why I can say it's good. It's good. Everything. And the idea of, of conforming is more than just a superficial design. God as the, as the potter, he, he, is, he is shaping and He is sculpting. And he is contouring us into the likeness of Christ. Another commentator says this, God is pouring us into the mold of Christ's perfect greatness. And through this process, we see in the text that we become family. Paul says brethren. We become brothers. You know what that means? We have the DNA of Jesus pulsing in us as God is Conforming. We are transformed as we are conformed. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. How does he do this? What happens as this is going on? What, what has taken place to get us to this point. Look at verse 30 and, and following. There are five verbs that illustrate a, a chain of certainty for all of us as believers. The text says that he, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many, many and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. The first verb there is foreknew. Let me define that for you, that God set his love on us. Believer, God set his love on you. I found that, that this week is best translated as this. Those he long ago thought of in a saving relationship to himself. So the chain begins there that we he foreknew. Then we see predestined. That God planned a glorious destination for us. Because he foreknew you, he knew what you needed. He knew that there was going to be a great destination for you, a predetermined destiny for every believer. He foreknew, he predestined, then the next two go hand in hand. He called and he justified. That, that, that God works out his plan in his time. Through his invitation. 
And we are then declared, and I don't get this, but thank God for it, we are then declared righteous through Jesus Christ. We are justified. And then eventually glorified that God completes the plan in eternity. And we are given esteem. We're put in an honorable position through Jesus Christ. And all this works together for our good according to His purpose. It's not a partial thing. It's a whole thing. All of us as Christians, this is true of us. But what, what, how does this chain work? Let me, let me read to you what one says. The, the Christians are able to look back down the chain and know that before creation, God foreloved them and predestined them to be justified. And a Christian can look up on the other side of the chain and know that in eternity they will know unimaginable glory in the presence of God. Don't miss that. That the, the creator of the universe saw you, he loved you, he called you, he justified you, so that you may then be glorified. So what do we do with that? Evidently Paul knew that there would be questions, and so he went on. What's our response? Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? God is for us. Who is against us? This verse means more than the fact that God is graciously disposed toward every believer, but that He is for us in all that He does. Maybe just for a second we can pause here and we can personalize the text and you can put your name here in the blank that God is for Philip Turner. God is for fill in the blank. That God is for you. That, that when no one else or nothing else seems to be for you, because those times will come, Christian, those times will come this year when no one else or nothing else seems to be for you, understanding that because we know God and understand the promise that He is for you. We know that God is for us, or maybe we've been reminded that God is for us, but for how long? Is there anything that can separate me from the love of God? Again, Paul anticipated the question. He says, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Think of a courtroom here. Christ Jesus is he who died. And then I love this because it seems like Paul catches himself. He says, Christ Jesus is he who died. But wait a minute, it gets even better. Rather, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God. And not only that, he's interceding for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Who? Will tribulation? Or distress? Or persecution? Or famine? Or nakedness? or peril, or sword. Look back at verse 31. God is for you. Who can be against you? In verse 32, He gave up His own Son for you. Why in the world would He spare anything else? He gave His most prized, precious, precious possession for you. Why wouldn't He give you anything else that you need? Verse 33, He has declared you righteous. Through Christ Jesus, 
Why would you ever doubt your standing or live in guilt or shame? Verse 34, Christ lived the perfect life and died the perfect death and is standing in the gap for you before the Father, interceding, Paul says. Why would there ever be guilt or unforgiveness? Verse 35, the love of God, it's, it's there and it will always be there for you as a believer. Tribulation, trials, troubles, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, the sword, danger. Will any of this separate me from the love of God? What, what, about, what about my sinfulness? What about my attitude? Sometimes I don't feel like my faith is strong enough. Philip, you don't understand, my family is in shambles. My health is in decline. Life is happening, in other words. I feel like life is caving in around me. Listen to what Spurgeon said. He, he preached a great message on this text, and he says this. Look attentive, attentively at the champion. It needs no stretch of imagination to conceive this place to be a Roman amphitheater. There in the midst of the arena stands the hero. The great doors of the lion's dens are lifted up by machinery, and as soon as the layers are open, rushing forth with fury, come bears and lions and wild beasts of all kinds that have been starved into ferocity, with which the champion is to contend. Such was the Christian in Paul's day. Such is he now. Listen to what he says. The world is a theater of conflict. Angels and devils look on. A great cloud of witnesses view the fight. And monsters are let loose against him. With whom he must contend triumphantly. And so are these things, is this enough to break the chain that we talked about in verse 30? The answer is found in verse 37. And it's an overwhelming no. Look at what the text says. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. I love this word overwhelmingly conquer. It's, it's one who is super victorious. One who wins more than an ordinary victory. One who is overpowering and achieving an abundant victory. It describes a lopsided victory. You get the point? It's 72 to nothing at halftime, right? And the fourth string is in, right? You get it? And, and, and the commentator says it's not that there's, there's just conceit in this. But rather than conceit, it's full confidence in Christ. Christ's love conquered death, and because of his love, we can be, we are more than conquerors through him. We understand he is sovereignly in control. Paul says, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, things present, things to come, or powers, or height, or depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? That means there is nothing in human experience, nothing in life or death that will separate you. There's nothing in the spiritual realm. There's nothing, there are no angels or rulers that can separate you. There's nothing in time, whether it be present or future, that can separate you. There's nothing in space, whether it be height or depth, that can separate you. There's nothing in all creation that can separate you from the love of God, your Father. There's your confidence in 2017. But the question is why? Because God does not lose any that he foreknew. And God is always working for your good. Because you love him. Because God's love is his choice. 
It's not because of anything that I've done or that I can ever do. And so as I close this morning, I wonder if this is just a great reminder for you on the second Sunday of a year of uncertainty. But maybe, maybe for you it's more than a reminder. Maybe for you it's a call to action. Because you understand that everything that I just said is true for believers. Those who have been justified through Jesus Christ and you have no idea of your position or your standing with God through Jesus Christ. And I, would, I, would, I would encourage you to make sure that this day does not pass without you talking to someone about that. Maybe today you need to be reminded of, of the words of Jesus, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Here's your confidence in 2017. Because God loves you, He's for you. And, he is, and if He is for you, there is absolutely nothing, no one, that can be against you. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the promise we find in it. And we thank you for reminders like these. And it's my prayer now that as we respond, that we would respond with boldness, with courage, honestly. And God, that you would be honored and glorified through our actions. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let me invite you to stand. And as you stand... If you're looking for a church home, we'd love to have you here at First Baptist Church. Or if you'd like to talk about being in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, I'd love to talk to you here as well. The choir will sing and you respond.